We've tried to do a reverse brainstorming where we kind of think about how do we want to create the absolute worst solar company ever? And then we solve for the opposite of that. And this is Scaling Clean, the podcast for clean economy CEOs, investors, and the people who advise them. I'm your host, Mike Casey. I run Tigercom, a firm that counsels companies that are helping move the U.S. economy onto a more sustainable footing. In each show, we bring you usable insights on how to scale and run clean economy companies from the people who are succeeding at building, funding, or advising the most successful firms in your sectors. As the CEO of Encore Renewable Energy, Chad Fairwood's first company is his current company, but he's been driving its success for almost 15 years, which is plenty of time to gather a body of lessons learned that we can pass to others in his position. Based on what we see from our firm, clean economy is a young enough set of actors that Chad's more the norm than the exception. Most of our sector CEOs are younger. They're often company founders or they're in their first time as a CEO. And that's why we thought it was important to get lessons learned from someone with Chad's background. And with that, we'd like to welcome Chad Farrell to the show. Chad, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you today? I'm good. So let's start with your background. How would you summarize your path to your current job? Sure. Yeah, I would, I would summarize it as somewhat accidental. Uh, I, I was pretty turned off by the concept of climbing corporate ladders early on in my, the early days of my career. So I, I really never did. Uh, instead, I focused uh, in the fields of science in the early part of my career, establishing expertise as a groundwater hydrologist, of all things, and then as an environmental engineer supporting corporations, utilities, and other institutions uh, regarding exposure to environmental liabilities, and then also eventually to real estate professionals looking to unlock the potential of environmentally impacted or contaminated land for redevelopment and reuse. But, uh, you know, I would say mission was missing. Uh, We were essentially working for the polluters, as I came to realize. And I would say also, you know, culture was missing. I, I wasn't really, you know, enjoying my, you know, my my career at that point. Um, and part of it was that I, I just don't think I was, you know, on the right bus with the with the with the right other fellow passengers. Um, so, and and then finally, I would say I wasn't scratching that entrepreneurial itch that I think I've always had um, to do something different and not necessarily conventional. So really, I, I've come to, you know, leadership in this position, uh, you know, on my own, and uh, but always with uh, the ideals uh, that I've that I've held, which is that business can be a force for good, uh, and we there is a lot of opportunity in you know, you know cleaning up <laughs> the mess of of previous generations, whether that be with respect to our land use policies and our. our or whether that be uh, with respect to our, our energy generation uh, policies. Were there things in your upbringing or your career that, unbeknownst to you at the time, set you up to succeed in the role you're in now? Yes, I, I have always had an appreciation for the value of hard work. Um, you know, quite frankly, my dad worked his butt off, um, and I saw... I saw the value of hard work in not only, you know, my parents, but, but their parents, uh, you know, this was, I, I grew up in the, in the seventies and in the eighties 
Um, and there was a lot of, there was like there is today, there was turbulence back then. Um, and uh, really got an appreciation for that, that value of, of just putting your head down and doing the work. So I guess, you know, it, it, it's the concept of resilience. Um, and I think that's, that's really important. Tell me about the first time you were somebody's boss. What mistakes did you make and what were the big lessons that you've carried forward into the years that followed? I, I did work at an environmental engineering firm when I was uh, responsible for growing and managing our uh, Brownfields redevelopment practice. So this was the, the portion of the larger environmental engineering firm that was focused on uh, characterizing, cleaning up, and making suitable for redevelopment from a risk perspective, an environmental risk perspective, you know, real property that was usually, I'd say, you know, eight times out of 10 being redeveloped for commercial real estate. Um, so I was the team lead there. Um, and I learned the value of, of, certainly learned the value of being a trusted leader, a teacher, and a guide. And that leadership does not always have to be, you know, push, push, push. And that motivating people requires their respect and, and their engagement in the culture that you're trying to create. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's important to, to mention that along those lines, I did learn the value of a strong culture and the mistake of not focusing on or advancing um, or creating the best working culture uh, for employees. So in Encore, it's almost like we've tried to do a reverse brainstorming where we kind of think about how do we want to create the absolute worst solar company ever? And then we solve for the opposite of that. How have you changed your leadership style over the years? What are three things that you know now about leadership that you wish you knew when you first started your company? I guess I'm realizing the importance of um, leaning into who we are as people. And, you know, that it takes a team and, and really what a team truly means, which is meeting people where they are, lifting each other up, fighting for a common you know, future together and listening. Um, so I think really it's, 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 it's encouraging people to bring their authentic selves to work and creating a safe culture for them to be able to do so, because in doing so, we are now bringing them unencumbered to the tasks at hand. Uh, we're bringing them with positive mindsets to be able to solve challenging and complex problems. And we are allowing them to feel comfortable in who they are. And, and again, that, that brings out the best in people. Um, I, I also have learned a lot about delegation, especially over the last several years, uh, as we've been able to you know, grow out a team and, I, and I'm able to do less and less on the day-to-day or less and less working in the business and more and more working on the business. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's always important for leaders to ask, how can I help? Let's solve this problem together. Um, but it's important to also, uh, you know, understand the value of, of all of our respective time um, and, you know, being available and listening and being a sounding board and letting others carry the water and, and prove themselves and step up to new challenges. Uh, and as long as we put the right processes and tools in place, and as long as we offer guidance and encouragement along the way, you're empowering people to step up and, 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 and advance their own careers. And in doing so, freeing you know, ourselves up as the leaders of the organization to uh, 
do different things that that we hadn't been able to do when we were um, when we were sort of working again in the business too deeply. And then finally, I, I don't think this is, probably comes as a surprise to many folks, but really the key to leadership is it's it's all about getting the right people on the bus and getting those right people in the right seats. We at Encore always want to understand where people are at, what they love about their current role and what they would perhaps like to see change. Um, and, and people's interests shift over time. I mean, my, my career is a perfect example. Um, you know, I've evolved from, from day one and I, I think I'm not unique in that regard. Um, so really it's about um, you know, empowering people and making sure that they're comfortable in their role and they're passionate about their role. And, you know, similar to the way they feel um, from a culture standpoint or engagement standpoint with the business, you know, those, you know, allowing those kinds of engagements is only going to increase productivity. The same, it's the same thing. Who are your most important mentors and what did you learn from them? I've got to go all the way back to high school <clears throat> and high school in the, I guess it was the mid to late eighties, Acton, Massachusetts, uh, those early days for high school lacrosse in Massachusetts. And uh, I, I, I started to play lacrosse when I think I was in sixth or seventh grade and, you know, practiced and got better and ultimately got to high school and was on the varsity team. And we had a coach by the name of Jack O'Brien. And he was just a tremendous mentor uh, and leader in my eyes, you know, at, at the age of 17, 18. Um, you know, he, he brought a strong balance between sort of, you know, competitive fire and passion and, and, and winning with that of the importance of humility and just being good citizens. I'll, I'll share a brief story. Uh, he would not allow us as 16, 17, 18 year old boys, uh, high school kids to swear on the field in practice or in games. And if we ever did swear, he would, he would pull us out of the next game for, you know, at least a half. And I remember thinking that is, I mean, cause he wants us to be good representatives of the school and good, you know, upstanding young adults uh, or moving towards being young adults. And I, I just thought that was fantastic. So we, so we would get into, you know, we'd get into scrums and he'd go in for ground balls and, and you'd get hit by the other team. And, and you'd hear all the kids on, on our team saying shucks and shoot and darn and heck. <laughs> and meanwhile, the other team swearing like sailors and, you know, anyway, so I, I just always thought that was a great sort of example of positive leadership and, you know, just sort of setting, setting the guardrails. Chad, you quit your job tomorrow to teach a class at the Grossman School of Business at the University of Vermont. Your first lecture is on the role of the effective CEO. What do you tell your students? Gosh, I would say you've got to set the vision. You've got to have a problem to solve that society needs solved. Um, so you've got to set the vision. Then you've got to put the tools in place to allow that vision, you know, to be embarked upon. Um, and that, you know, that, that's your blocking and tackling, right? That's your, you know, the CRM and, you know, uh, that would be, you know, for us, we have a number of sort of project development specific uh, tools that, that we utilize for, you know, managing our pipeline of projects, managing the active development of our projects, 
So every business is going to have, you know, tools that they need to have in the toolbox um, in the form of processes and, you know, software, whatever it may be. Um, so once you've got the tools in place, I think you really, you've got to, again, um, get the right people on the, on, on the bus, get them in the right seats. You've got to make people feel safe. You've got to listen. You've got to raise capital. And then you've got to get out of the way. Um, I, I, I think I've been getting into the Ted Lasso uh, show recently. Uh, and I, I think you could summarize this whole question up by being more like Ted Lasso. Um, it, it's a tremendous story of, of a tremendous leader um, who is just doing things very, very differently, um, but ultimately has success as a result of it. Chad, hiring is often cited as one of the tougher parts of the job. You've mentioned it several times. What have you learned about hiring and retention that you could pass on to younger CEOs? Sure. Well, again, I mean, so let's, let's go hiring first and then retention. Um, hiring is a, is a very, very uh, important aspect of what any, you know, business leader does, uh, new, uh, you know, mature, uh, whatever. Um, so we, we take a very deliberate approach to hiring um, that does include, uh, you know, putting together really accurate and robust uh, job descriptions that speak to not only the position that you want filled, but the type of person that you want filling it. And our position descriptions are uh, deliberately intended to promote diversification of the business. Um, so we're, we're, we're actively seeking a more diverse workforce and our position descriptions need to reflect that. Um, so, and then I say, we also, I would say we also um, believe, and, and we're fortunate to be able to do this now, right? That we have a more uh, robust and mature and, and fully built out team where we can um, have folks, you know, from all levels of the business uh, participating in the interview process. And we were, where um, you know where where we can, um, we you know, we like to engage a, a multiple um, perspectives. Um, I, I think the old cliche of of hiring slow, um, it, um, but firing fast <laughs> is 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 accurate here. Um, but if you hire slow, hopefully you don't have to fire. But if you do, you you should do it fast. Um, and you know, I think we try to, again, uh, with thought around protection of the culture that we've created, we have a number of questions around the softer sides of business to ensure cultural fit. Uh, that's, been, that's been super helpful. Uh, we've recently, um, well, I, I wouldn't even say recently, I would say over the last bunch of years, we've considered giving uh, potential applicants or applicants uh, an assignment to complete could be something that we're grappling with where, you know, an additional perspective would be helpful, but it also helps to sort of, you know, understand how that person thinks and how that person would tackle, uh, you know, a, a problem or an issue uh, or, or something associated with our, with our work. A little bit of an unusual question, but one thing I've noticed in our hiring here is that the new pool of potential employees 
interviews and pursues jobs in a lot of ways that are different than I was raised to pursue jobs. For example, when I was coming up, if you had a typo in your cover or your resume, it was death to your candidacy. You would not be even considered. And now, at least in our line of work, we're hiring writers and communicators. And I am looking for the people who had the fewest typos, the people who actually do research on us, who will choose to tailor and formalize their communications in a thank you email. How are you seeing the differences in the new potential employees versus those that are more of your age contemporaries? And how are you adapting to those differences? It's a great question, Mike. And, and, and yeah, I, I'm right there with you in, in understanding that there are differences in our you know, relative generations. And, you know, we're, we're proud that at Encore, we do have diversity across the age spectrum, as well as the you know, racial and, 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 and gender. But I, I, I definitely agree um, that there, it, it's, a different, it's a different game now. Um, there really is a, you know, a battle for talent out there. Um, this kind of speaks to your previous question regarding retention. Um, and <clears throat> so I, I think I would say that we're, and, and certainly in a post-pandemic world, you know, things have sort of been flipped on their head and, you know, we're able to uh, engage with folks that don't necessarily live in the same community that we do. Um, and yeah, you know, so that that that's created a, a bunch of opportunities. Um, it's also created some complexities. Uh, but it goes back to me. It goes back to the culture and communicating and engaging with everybody across the team and, and making everybody feel safe and valued. Um, that is how we're going to succeed in the retention front. You mentioned it briefly earlier, but what's the guidance? you would offer to younger versions of yourself on firing people beyond it, doing it quickly. Yeah. What tells you it's not working out as a fit? Well, fortunately we've, I think we've not to pat ourselves on the back too firmly, but you know, I think we've done a decent job with our hiring process and that we haven't had to do too much firing. Um, I, you know, I think it's at the end of the day, uh, we've all been in relationships that don't work out. And, and I think if we can remove our emotions from all of these hard conversations, we have a, a path towards a productive conversation. And, it, you know, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. And hopefully there's realization of that on both sides. And, you know, if we can help sort of uh, set that tone, that would be helpful or that will be helpful. Um, so I guess, you know, it goes to another <clears throat> important concept that we've embraced at, at Encore, which is the concept of emotional intelligence. Um, we, we know that, that life in this industry is anything but predictable. Uh, we know that uh, we're going to have the door slammed in our face. Uh, we know we're gonna have great success, but we've gotta be able to, through the successes and through the challenges, be able to maintain a consistent demeanor and one that is not volatile and confrontational. And we've got to keep our emotions in check. And I think, you know, bringing emotional intelligence to the table 
is another tool for retention in that hopefully you're not creating a workplace uh, you know that 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 does become toxic and that does become easier for folks that you want to retain to leave. What's the most valuable interview question you have ever asked a candidate? I'll give you one. Um, so one would be with respect to self-regard. Um, we could ask the candidate, tell me about a time when it was clear that you had made an error or a mistake. And what did you do to rectify the situation? And how did you feel? And what we're seeking there is we're looking for issues regarding ego, self-confidence, the ability to you know, admit a mistake, the uh, further the ability to put a plan in action to mitigate uh, or rectify that mistake. And, uh, you know, and then we're also wanting to incorporate a human element to it. Like, how did you feel that that can tell us, uh, you know, about the empathy of the individual? I mean, we, we all want to take ourselves seriously, but there's also a time and a place when it's okay. It's, it's always okay to admit that we make mistakes. If we feel we're in, you know, in a trusted, effective working engagement. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a handful of others, but I, I'll go without. Based on your experience running Encore, would you say that the success to date is more a product of what you have chosen to do, or is it a pro- more a product of what you have chosen not to do? Wow, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I think it's the former because I do believe in the power of planning. And uh, you, there have absolutely been instances where we've decided not to pursue a certain segment, or we've decided not to pursue a certain project, or we've decided to move away from a certain program and being deliberate in our, in our growth and being deliberate in uh, you know, taking iterative steps towards, you know, growing each sector of the team and, you know, making sure that we've got the right tools in the toolbox to support the team that we have in place. And and that means communication tools and and process tools and certainly making sure we have the right, right folks uh, on the team. A great segue to our last question. How will the job of the clean tech CEO be different in 10 years than it is today? It's going to be a great position to be in when we are more like an incumbent industry than we are an upstart. So, you know, for us at Encore, it's shifting from, you know, uh, just an always hustling kind of like, you know, eating what we kill kind of, you know, mentality and, and, and approach to business, meaning, you know, we originate a project, we work like heck to design it, permit it, uh, finance it, and then build it. But we're, we're basically selling these projects to other investors. You know, as we move forward to owning assets, uh, I think that's going to be, you know, that's, that's, that's a change. And I think there's going to be more clean energy CEOs that are managing more mature asset rich uh, or asset you know, associated uh, businesses, then there are, you know, hustlers out there that, that, that have defined the last 10 or 15 years, right? Um, really just sort of trying to 
uh, move as fast as possible to sell the, sell the project you're working on so you can fund the next two or three projects in the pipeline. Uh, so I think there will be a need for managing more mature, larger scale businesses that have multiple business lines, for lack of a better word, meaning uh, we're not just originating projects, developing them and flipping them. We, we now need to incorporate storage into the solar projects. We now need to think about different tenor contract lengths. We got to get smarter about future power curve uh, estimation. We've got to uh, build an asset ownership, an asset management um, group. So it, yeah, it's, it's going to be an, it's going to be a really interesting, you know, five or 10 years here. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's, there's going to be a lot of change as well. And we'll see where we, we end up and in 10 years. Uh, I hope I'll still be doing this, but I don't know that either. <laughs> well, Chad Farrell of Encore Renewable Energy, it has been a pleasure having you on Scaling Clean. We're delighted you came on and shared your mid-career observations and lessons learned. I think you are absolutely the norm in this industry in terms of age and career, career trajectory for other CEOs. And I think people find it lonely at the top, so to speak, such that the top is. And I think that hearing from their peers in a candid way that you've had the courage to express yourself is really helpful and a big benefit to a lot of people who you probably will never meet. But anyway, on their behalf, I want to thank you. Such a great conversation. And um, we're going to be in touch. So thanks, Chad. We really appreciate the time. Gosh, thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed the time as well. And I look forward to staying in touch. Take care. This is Scaling Clean, a production of TigerCom. And I'm Mike Casey. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to our show free anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.